righty, here we are. Screen Heat Miami is back. I'm glad we're here. Yes, it has been uh, quite the hectic week here for all of our friends in Florida. Hurricane Ian cutting its way across the Sunshine State this week, and it's been quite eventful. We usually say it's hot. Right. This time we'll say it's wet. (laughs) And windy. (laughs) Wet, windy, there's no fire around here. Oh, boy. Yes, we could use some of that heat and sunshine again, that is for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, one uh, one bright spot in the local news is that the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were preliminarily planning to move their game from Tampa uh, against the Chiefs, decided to stay in Tampa. Uh, fortunately for the Tampanians, I think I got that right. <laughs> and uh, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Tampites. <laughs> the the, the Tampanians. Tampanians. <laughs> okay Uh, let's move on the uh the the game will be on they did not get a direct hit it went south and you know unfortunately for all of our um our people in the southwest between fort myers naples the sarasota area sanibel they got hit really hard thoughts and prayers go out to them but the the game will be on in florida as planned in tampa so we'll get to see tom brady um, in what we think will be his final curtain call year, uh, once again, Didn't he retire for a day. Didn't he retire? Yes, he did. And, uh, but he is back like the Terminator says <laughs> <laughs> he wants one more go. From what I understand, Giselle Bunchen was not too happy about that. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. She's in a bunch or not or whatever over she's the situation. Yeah. And apparently that's. A lot of frustration off the field for for them, but hopefully they'll get through it and uh, and and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting all around in the media world, and we want to get some more stories. But as we usually do, our, our delayed intro. Uh, this is Screen Heat Miami uh, with your never co-host. too late, <laughs> never too late. Jail Martinez and Kevin Sharpley, and we are brought to you by Chemical. And Kijik Multimedia, Cinevision, and the Miami Media Film Market, which is wrapped up its 12th anniversary and uh, everything is looking well. By the way, I did want to plug one thing. Uh, we did put all of our panel videos from MMFM 12 on the website. So if you go to MiamiMediaFilmMarket.org, you can see all the greatest recaps from our conference in July. Yep. I did one. You There's did. one. That was a great one. You you appeared as your Zavatar, which was great. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> that was a, that was that was a hell of an entrance, as they say. You got to make a strong entrance. Yes. If you don't. What else are you doing? You're just mm. fading into the background. Yes. And and speaking of stars fading, unfortunately, uh, a very well known rapper uh, that many of you know from the '90s, in particular, Coolio, uh, passed away at the age of 59. And so, uh, obviously, thoughts to his family and friends and prayers, but uh, most known probably for the the hit soundtrack to the Michelle Pfeiffer movie, Dangerous Minds, Gangster's Paradise, uh, which was just a classic hit back in the 90s. Spending most of our life living in a gangster's paradise. Oh, I didn't know you're going to whip out the recording studio today. (laughs) You got to make a strong entrance like a hurricane, Cat 5. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's um the best-selling rap song of all time. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I knew yeah. it was up there. But but wow, best selling rap song of all time. That's incredible. And and he's also he was also a Grammy winner, uh, a producer. Won a Grammy, that's right. For yeah. that. Mm-hmm. An actor. Uh, and, and apparently, according to his longtime manager, I want to say this right, Jarrell Posey, um, you know, they, they don't suspect any foul play, but it, it could have they're suspecting that it could have been from a heart attack. Uh, was what caused it. So I guess more more news to come on that. But uh, rest in yeah. paradise. Ah, yes, very apropos. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Warner Brothers Discovery is resting in paradise. No, I mean you know with all the upheaval with the merger, right? Between Discovery now, you know Warner Brothers Discovery Plus plus that shady logo that they put out there for a couple <laughs> of days. <laughs> Pick art. What do you yeah, call it? Word art. What do you call it? Late nineties <laughs> Corel draw logo. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yes. There, there's rumors now that they may be for sale now. Imagine, you know, it's just like one media company swallowing another. Uh, that there's been rumors floating around that potentially Comcast, which as we know already owns the likes of NBC Universal, Telemundo, and a host of other media companies and networks, was uh, might have been making a play behind the scenes to actually buy Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, and hopefully, if that did happen, they would at least hire a better graphic artist. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> you know what they say when you hear hear things going on behind the scenes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You never know. You, you're right. Usually that's, that's, a that's uh, not a good tea, sign in the tea leaves that something is going on, something leaked. And now uh, the CEOs are in a, in a huff about it, but uh, David Zasloff did say they're absolutely not for sale, which, which may be code for make me a better offer. <laughs> Could be. I know a lot of heads rolled. Cut yes. 2000, mm. 2000 employees. Wow. Axed, still axing. Yeah. Three billion dollars in savings. Yeah. Or finding synergies, as they say in corporate lingo. Oh, oh sorry. I said axed. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They found three billion dollars of loose synergies. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously, anytime you have two major media companies like Warner Brothers and Discord. Discovery and Warner Media, I guess, and Discovery coming together, there's bound to be those situations. But, you know, even for that, I guess the idea was that this is a bit too much in terms of the cost cutting. And they were wondering if something else perhaps was afoot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just going to read into this a little bit. And this is, you know, something that had been brewing over the past couple of weeks. You know, I've been out of the country for 10 days or so. Welcome back. Talk about that a little bit after the jump. But um, you know, a lot of their uh, catalog, a lot of what they had on their on their HBO Max service, and I believe we spoke about this, um, they cut a lot of the content that they had on the service, more markedly the children's content, because the understanding is that they're pulling back from the children's content. It doesn't it doesn't pay as much. And so, you know, I think that they're trying a little bit of everything to 
to cut costs. I mean, that's Zavlov's, that's his claim to fame, right? You know, right cutting right. costs. And then, you know, obviously discovery comes from that world of more docu-series, reality television, Yeah, you know, just naturally a lower budget threshold than some of the HBO type fare that we're used to seeing, you know, uh, that's and like a hurricane of, meeting right. a California forest fire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> two, two different operating systems. Entirely system. opposite, entirely opposite way. Of thinking. Yes. Mac and PC just coming together. It's clunky. Oh, oh, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it's interesting to see what's going to come out of it because, you know, during the shutdown, it was like, oh, you know, streamers, that's going to be the salvation of the industry. That's the way to go. And now it's a lot of recalibrating. And I know that Warner Brothers Discovery, um, they're looking at other models, you know, looking at even uh, feature films as being kind of, you know, the revenue driver, a revenue, a revenue driver. Right. And, you know, around the pandemic times, they pulled back and released a lot of the films uh, online or uh, on the streamers that were going to go into theaters. So it is a recalibrating in a lot of different ways. And a lot of people, a lot of companies are doing that. I mean, we'll talk about one big company, uh, Netflix after the jump who ran into a lot of trouble. Mm. Well, I don't, I wouldn't say a lot of trouble because all the streamers picked up a lot of subscribers during the shutdown, during the pandemic shutdown. And I don't look at it as, you know, maybe them losing subscribers more than people getting out in the world and not having the dependency on just watching at home a lot of this material yes yeah reacclimating ourselves (laughs) post-pandemic to exactly a recalibration yes a recalibration you know back to like you said theatrical and you know other forms of of screen entertainment uh other than just you know, binging and streaming at home. Uh, Wall Street doesn't look at it that way, though. Right. No, you're right. Wall Street, it's like growth, growth, growth. Oh, no. You didn't grow? You're in trouble. Holes in your ship. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's, that's the thick of it, my friend. So, yeah, we will, uh, we're going to get to that Netflix story, I think, after the jump. But uh, I think we definitely want to introduce our two guests today. Never too late. Never too late. Do it at the top. Yes, we did not, but but they're great. And and this was, again, uh, another fantastic job by yourself uh, during the Miami Media Film Market uh, to interview these two gentlemen who made a, an appearance on one of our panels on our Art of the Deal panel, which, of course, is Matthew Stein, uh, who we have interviewed before. Uh, and, of course, Francois Martin, who is a good friend and colleagues of Matt's going back to their days at Dimension Films and the Miramax companies, but Francois is now with Vertical Entertainment, uh, which has put out a, a, a host of great indie films. So absolutely uh, a wonderful interview that, that we know you're going to enjoy with these two guys coming together uh, as, as sort of old industry colleagues and talking some shop. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we have to give Matt Stein some shine. This is his second time with our podcast. You see how I gave that dramatic pause? <laughs> dramatic pause. I just thought the internet yeah. cut out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, 
Matt Stein has had a storied career. So, you know, SVP, scripted entertainment at Live Nation, uh, SVP over at Sony. And, you know, I had to get both of them together again because they both uh, went back to the Weinstein Company days, uh, Dimension. And when I heard them talking about those times, there was no way that I was not going to get them talking about those times on our podcast. So this is a twofer after the twofer from last week, which I had to get, you know, Andy Schefter and Chris Tuffin together because, you know, they're at Sentient together. So I was really happy to get the reverse. Usually it's two hosts and one, one person that we're interviewing. This time it's, you know, me taking on two folks at the same time. So um, I think you guys will enjoy this. It's a really fun interview. Absolutely. And here we go. Matt Stein and Francois Morton. Okay, here we are. Once again, Matt Stein. Hey, how are you? Good I think, to see you. I think you were our third interview. Uh, I think I was, and it's really exciting to finally be back. <laughs> and so, uh, Francois, what's your last name? Martin. Francois Martin. So we're here with Francois <coughs> Martin and an old friend of his and a friend of mine, Matt Stein. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good to be back, as I mentioned, and it was good to uh, have Francois here as well. And we just finished our panel, and uh, we're super excited to be talking with you right now. And we're here at the Miami Media and Film Market. I think that you'll hear a little bit of background noise, but guess what? That's all part of the ambiance of the Miami Media and Film Market. And really, this interview is more focused on Francois because we have not interviewed him before. And we got so much out of Matt last time. Again, I think he's like our third interview. But these guys go back a long ways. So I wanted to talk about that. How did you guys meet? What is that connective tissue? The connective tissue is, um, you know, independent film, a company called Miramax Films. I uh, started there as an assistant in 2001, a marketing assistant. Matt was uh, was already there, I believe, right? I was. I yeah. was. I started there in 1999, um, and what we did have similar upbringings of the company, both being assistants mm -hmm. to senior executives there, and uh, grew up together at the company, Francois on the marketing and sales side, and me in the production and development side. And uh, as we continued to grow in the company, we worked closer and closer uh, together, and it was really a, a crazy but super educational experience yeah and and you know w working in the independent film business working in New York uh, working for the guys that we've worked for um, infamous in, in many ways um, we we worked really hard together you know and and the movies we worked on were groundbreaking um, and our resources were always limited uh, and it was a, a very stressful experience but it was a great experience because you were young you were working on this amazing content you were able to stay in New York we're, we're both from the New York I'm from the New York area but Matt's from New Jersey uh, originally we're from East Coast guys uh, and it was an amazing thing to just be able to be in that business and be in New York together uh, and and get but getting through it all forges friendships and and those those tough times and those you have uh, times when it's stressful and it's difficult you have times of amazing success when the movies work a movie that maybe Matt had championed and as a script and brought in a director and helped make it and then me 
as, as getting that movie as a marketing person and, and putting that out in the world and you see an opening weekend that's just your number one. A little company like us and you know we're the number one movie in, 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 in nationwide in, in theaters. I mean it's just it, it was an amazing experience uh, and and you know there's two other guys who aren't here but the four of us were, 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 are really close to this day. We call ourselves the Four Horsemen. <laughs> of Apocalypse? Uh, yeah. Sometimes of that, indeed. You know, I, I have to say, too, and, and as and Francois sort of touched on it a little bit, as much as there were those highs, and we enjoyed them, there were lows, okay, so let's say you worked on a movie for a really long time, um, and it didn't work, you know, it just did not open. Uh, maybe there was a problem with the movie itself, maybe it was flawed from concept, maybe it wasn't flawed from concept, but it just, you know, you know no one else sets out to make a bad movie, but once that train starts barreling down the tracks, sometimes it just goes off the track, right? And then unfortunately we give something to marketing that is not just a great movie, and sometimes they knock it out of the park and throw a fastball, as we used to call it, and sometimes, you know, the movie just doesn't work, and the marketing campaign, um, you know, as much as it was might be brilliant, you know, it, maybe you get a good weekend, maybe you don't. My point on all of this is in those bad times where maybe it didn't work and you killed yourself for two years on the production, the development, and the marketing, we, since we all grew up together there, we sort of had each other's backs. And that's so key in this business. And that's yes, really important. Yes, which I'm sure, you know, is maybe stereotyping our business a little bit, but can be a little cutthroat. It can, people can turn on each other in these times of, of stress. It's a cutthroat um, business. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just say it yeah. like it is. It, it and, totally is. And to have, like Matt said, to have the two of us and these two other guys that we were always sort of banded together and we weren't going to do that, you know? Yeah. We were going to um, have each other's back. We were we weren't going to blame each other, uh, and we were just going to, if it didn't work, we're going to move on to the next one with, with optimism. Yeah. yeah, so this is great to hear because we just had Chris Tuffin and Andy Schefter of Sentient, and they've been friends through thick and thin. Totally. Before Sentient, they had another company that they worked together, uh, Social Capital, and they worked together on other projects, films and those things, and they talked about the importance of camaraderie and, you know, having this connection with people through the flames, you know, but but also, you know, through those high-rising times. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on before we let Matt go. Um, one of those is how long did you guys work together? I mean, how long were you at Miramax? Francois? Yeah, so from 2001 to to basically the end, we, 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 Miramax transitioned into the Weinstein Company in 2005, and that basically went up in flames in, in 2018. Yeah. Uh, with, with unfortunately and scandal. So I was there uh, 17 years yeah. from Miramax. To, I was there from 1999, including both the combination of Miramax and, as Francois mentioned, the transition into. Weinstein Company from 1999 to 2012, I believe, so like 13, 13 years, years. Yeah, something like that. So that's a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> they say they, they used to say in the business it was dog years. You know, yeah. like yes. if you'd been there, if you'd been there, you know, 10 years, it was really 70. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. And then you're doing it in New York, yes. which is arguably one of the fastest places on the planet. So. Absolutely, but, but I think that's also one of the things that was so great about whether it be the successes or the failures was that we were in New York, right? So like going out on an opening night to a bunch of different movie theaters to see how audience reacts or whatever, you're actually seeing it with people that for the most part are non-industry people. Yeah. So they really, you see genuine reactions and that can range anything from unbelievably explosive laughter or jump scares 
scares or whatever it is to people sitting there with their arms uh, folded across their chest not making any reaction whatsoever and then you're like wow we're in trouble and we definitely saw it all and that 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 really whole whole driver of that story is it was New York it was great to be there it is New York and you know those reactions were genuine yeah so can you talk about some of the films some of the movies that you guys worked on together yeah, I mean, maybe we start with a hit, which was Francois, I think, was alluding to before, which was Halloween, you know, where, where um, uh, we can read each other's minds now, so I knew he was uh, potentially thinking that. Um, but, you know, Halloween had been dormant for a while, and we need to reboot it since it's been rebooted again to great success, uh, creatively and financially. But at the time, it was like, what do we do with this? Do we just make another sequel, et cetera, et cetera? And ultimately, Rob Zombie reinvented it, and that was really, we made it for a price. It was a uh, open to number one to a record-breaking uh, Labor Day of the time, Labor Day opening. That which, record, which that held, right, until last year. Yes, right, right exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. That yeah, record yeah, for yeah. the highest opening opening weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Rob Zombie fan. As yeah, I've no, talked no, to, yeah, to, yeah. to Matt about his Listen, music and his filmmaking. But this is where I'll hand it back to Francois. You know, like, look, we, we, we made a good movie with that, and, and Rob did a really good job, and it was pretty radical reinvention of the franchise but then when we turned it over to marketing they knocked it out of the park and you know open to 28 million dollars 29 million dollars and that's two thousand seven dollars or something like that I mean it's a long time ago right. now yep. so you know can counting for inflation that's a pretty good and ticket number. prices if and you think about prices, that too you, you know, think about that ticket prices back then as well yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. for our company again that you know only spent a certain amount of money in marketing, you know, we probably were never going to get to the, you know, $80 million openings that you see at some of the other studios. So getting to that opening was pretty awesome. awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So what about some of the films, you know, when you guys first started, when you guys were just kind of getting your legs, what are some of the projects that you guys worked on? Well, yeah, you know, Spy Kids, the, we made the Spy Kids series, which was really amazing. And, and and doesn't get enough credit these days. And and I know it's said sometimes in interviews, but it was one of the first cast that was almost all Hispanic, mm -hmm. if you think about it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and 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 it was successful. And the director, to his credit, fought for it, and the studio backed him. And um, and that's now 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 that you're going to see that turned into a TV series. You know, there were basically four four uh, four sequels, and now that now there's going to be a TV series. So that was one that was amazing. Uh, the scary movie franchises uh, were 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 fantastic to work on. The, a lot of those also had um, a real African-American component and, and in marketing getting to learn actually just I'll tell you a little bit marketing getting to learn um, how, how to target a different um, segments uh, of, of a market, you know, to really go after an African American movie buyer, ticket buyer, um, was was something that I learned working on that, working on the scary movies, um, the Scream series, the, the Scream series, were, you know, was 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 also another one. That, and these are all ones that we worked on from the beginning, and because there were there were sequels, you know, we worked on all through our career together, you know. Wow. So as as young young bucks, and then all the way to to almost the end. It's yeah, a great yeah. point. I mean, I was an assistant when the first scary 
Mercury movie came out and, you know, saw that from sort of a, you know, because of the person I was assisting, you know, you got to see it from uh, a marketing perspective, a finance perspective, a production development perspective. You got to sort of see it all. And then the fourth movie I was oversaw the production of, you know, as like a senior executive at the company. So to Francois's point, you know, you got to see it from, you know, being a baby boy at the company all the way up to being an adult at the company, being responsible for the movie. And it was great because all, all those movies were had great openings and were sort of wildly successful. And even the fourth, and usually when you get to a fourth in the series, it's diminishing returns. We opened to like $40 million in like, what, 2005, 2006 dollars. Yes. Oh, scary movie. Oh, yeah, scary yeah, movie yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, was, yeah, that yeah. was a tremendous opening. And it was also the beginning of the Dimension Films division under the Weinstein Company when we had separated from Disney. Yep. So it was also a tremendous uh, early hit out of the gate as a new company. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was cool. So I'm just going to get to one more thing before we let you go, Matt. Well, actually, it's two things. So this has to do with your times together. So can you guys recall a moment that was just like the most intense and maybe a moment that was just like the most fun like you know mm. it could be an opening that was just like oh my god you know I can't believe this well probably since this is an open mic and we don't know where how many people are going to be listening I'll temper some of the uh, yeah that's the, okay the, 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 the jubilation <laughs> and, uh, and 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 down times as well I mean honestly I would go for me at least I would go to some of those early hits like Scary Movie 4 1408 uh, Halloween, those were like really, really triumphant times where everything, at least in my opinion, was firing on full cylinder of making good movies and having great marketing campaigns and having those nights where you're beginning to see the returns coming back in the old school land of theatrical box office was really, really exciting and it could be like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning and the West Coast was closing down and we were getting the numbers in and then we sort of essentially knew by 4 o'clock in the morning what we were going to do with some mathematical extrapolation for the weekend and those moments were some of the highest because it just means that like okay we did our job people went out to see it and they liked it and then I, I think for me and some of the lower points were when when we had a movie that I liked or that I thought was good and we just couldn't figure out a way to sell it <clears throat> properly you know and we couldn't really figure out a way to market it properly I, 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 I'll list two movies one is Youth and Revolt which I thought was a great movie with Michael Sarah, a really really cool concept. Who's who's uh, one of the primary characters? Name is Francois. That's another reason I like Michael. Um, but and the other one is um, the promotion, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. promotion, which is a comedy um, with, uh, with 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 uh, uh, William Scott and John C. Riley, John C. Riley, yeah. which I thought was just a hilarious movie. If anyone can find it anywhere and you have some time to watch it, like it, it is so both subtly funny yeah. that, that it, it's all about working in an office and. And office politics, you know, I thought I thought that those two were great. So, so those I think, where where you think about the lows, you're like, you know, boom, we we, we missed that one, you know. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, you have to you have to you know, pick it all up and it, you're on to the next one, you know. Yeah. So those high time. I know. I would say I, I would agree with those as well. I mean, I really enjoyed working on those films. You know, like any film, they they had their challenges as well. Certainly, you go back and you look at things and you're like, oh, we should have done this, we should have done that. Even from a production development and. Um, 
um, you know, but it's interesting to sort of hear uh, from the marketing side, you know, what what sort of their misses were uh, as well. And, and look, I actually thought both the campaigns were quite good, but there's nuances uh, that you look back just like the movie and you go, we should have done this, we should have done that. Yeah. You look at the campaign and you're like, okay, we could have done this slightly differently. We could have done this. And you, it's hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's an expert after on. the movie exactly. comes Monday out. Monday morning yeah. quarterbacking. Yeah. 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 Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I think those are good, good examples of some highs and lows. And you, you learn from both, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So then, then I'm going to let you go, Matt. Um, so was it like uh, in the highs, popping bottles with uh, Rob Zombie and the Wayans and that kind of thing? Or was it? No, I, I got to be honest with you, it really wasn't. You know, and it, part of it was, you know, you don't even realize it at the time, but part of it was probably because we were in New York and a lot of our, like, filmmakers and stuff were in Los Angeles on those Got opening it. nights. So yeah. there was that. You know, also, honestly, at least, and I'll just speak for myself, you know, by the time opening weekend came around, I was You're just dead. so tired. Right, yeah. <laughs> I was just so tired. And you I, know, what we would do, too, is the four of us, we would go out yes. and have dinner together. And we yeah, nice. we treat ourselves to a nice steak dinner. Yes. We'd go out for drinks. Maybe we stay out a little too late. Yeah. Um, but that would be our sort of celebration. Yeah. Uh, you know, And sleep somewhere in between there. Yeah, <laughs> for us, for us, like hang, we never, I, I never really socialized. You know, not because we didn't want to, it just never really happened to socialize with any yeah. talent or anything. It was really, and they, they don't really want to hang out with us, you know, either. So, so <laughs> I think um, amongst each other, there was always, we always took that time to really celebrate our successes. Yeah, but within yeah. the company, I mean, yeah. that, that really is where it's. We at. pop some bottles ourselves. Yeah, yeah. There's, no <laughs> doubt, there's no doubt. And to be honest, after we did that, we, you know, making the phone calls, some of the hardest phone calls you ever have to make to uh, your talent is when the movie's not working yeah. uh, and you know it's not working and you call them on set Friday night or Saturday or Sunday and you know or a week before and you're like we're just not going yeah, right yeah. and then some of the best phone calls you have to make are oh my god you know, you thought it was did this, but we actually just got the West Coast numbers in, and it's actually going to do this instead. And hearing that jubilant uh, feeling on the other side, even if we weren't physically with them, we were proverbi proverbially popping yeah. the bottles as well. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really great. And then, and Francois can speak to this, and then it actually becomes weirdly, you get the, you, you, you party a little, you get some rest, and weirdly you go back to work, especially on the marketing side, because then it's like, okay, well, what do we have to do to hold that audience Keep it from going. weekend yeah. to yeah. weekend? Give it legs. Yeah. You know, and, and, and he could speak to that a lot more, but like that, especially at our company, there were meetings literally the next day sometimes talking about, okay, what do we do next? Right. Not another movie, on the same movie. Yeah. Because it's not it's not celebrate and just, it, this is just going to do what it does. Now it's, let's get every dollar that we can and let's make it even bigger than we thought it was going to be, you know? So yeah. that, now it's like, um, uh, all right, good job, but now what are you going to show me? You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to keep that going. Yeah. I, you had something no, to say. No, the only thing I was going to say is, yeah, and that can range from, like, hey, do we need to spend a little more money? Do we now need to cut a new TV spot and yeah. go, like, we're now the number one movie in America? Yeah. You know, like, all that stuff. Some of it's done beforehand just in case, um, but some of it, you know, had to be altered based on what happened. So, you know, and this is where these guys really kicked into high gear because if you're able to hold on a second weekend, meaning you don't drop a lot in box office. That's a, almost a almost a bigger victory in a weird way. Um, you know, post the opening because they're like, okay, not only is the marketing campaign continuing to fire, but people are really enjoying the movie. And you know, we didn't see that for a long time, and now the 
best example in current times is Top Gun. You know, that movie oh, just yeah. continues mm. every weekend. It's going to do probably like $675 million domestic oh, because it just yeah. keeps consistently holding every weekend. Marketing campaign is good. Movie is good. Keeps holding. Yeah. So thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. For giving us this little bit of time. Always enjoy talking to you, Kevin. Enjoy the rest of your time with my uh, colleague, Francois, and uh, we'll talk later. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Max. Thank you. Okay, Francois, so we're going to go backwards in a minute, but yeah. since we're in the pocket of the marketing and, you know, what you really do, can you talk a little bit about what it takes to get a film there? And then we talked a little about, a bit about keeping it going. You know, yeah. what does what your job entail? Well, you know, it, when I was at um, the Weinstein Company and the Miramax Films, you know, Matt and I worked on the, the Dimension film side together. Yeah. We also had the Weinstein side, or the Miramax side, which which was the Academy-type movies, you know? Uh, the King's Speech, uh, Chicago, uh, Gangs of New York, um, every Quentin Tarantino movie, except for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because that was released by Sony, and uh, it's a great success. But... Um, you know, a lot of times the, the way the way we'd start is we would we would uh, get get a film. Uh, bring this. They're bringing in a bar, listeners. <laughs> oh, thirsty! <laughs> a very squeaky bar. Yeah. You know, we, we where where we would get get the film, uh, usually in the in closer to the finished film stage, and we screen it for an audience, and we see how the audience reacts to it. We see do do, old, do older females like it, do younger males like it, um, and from there, and and seeing the movie and picking similar type movies, we call them comps, similar type movies to that movie. You develop a whole campaign, and you say, look, you know, uh, how how are we going to sell this? Are we, you know, if it's a romantic comedy, you know, you're going to obviously prioritize um, a lot of a lot of the humorous scenes if it's a female skewing movie you're going to go advertise in places where you're going to find females um, and it's a whole and we would we would create basically 50 page marketing decks PowerPoint presentations that we would present and literally from the first trailer that hits the theaters all the way through to the weekend it comes out um, a whole almost like a Bible of how we're going to market this filmmaker's movie because that's their big you know these filmmakers. Yeah. Hey, they, it's hard. It's hard to get a movie made. You know, and yeah. when 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 you do, and when you get it, when you put it, when you finally hand that off, to, hand your baby off to the studio, um, they, you want to make sure that they're they're handling it with tender love and care, and we want to make them part of the process. So so a lot of times that that would begin with them giving trailer notes and 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 you know how they thought it was being presented, you know, a two-hour movie into a two-minute trailer. You know, so yeah. so that's um that's really big, and, and and that those types of relationships. That where where you're where they're along for the ride with you, make it make it for a much better experience than than when when it's a contentious thing and when you don't agree on how to market the movie. That happens too. You know, everyone thinks marketing is easy, and you know, it's that may, might not be as hard as marketing a film, but um, there's a certain skill set that maybe a director doesn't have, but they think that they, they might. And and um, I. I give them all the power in the world, all the credit to, to directors. It's a hard thing, but um, sometimes it would be a little bit like, we understand this is your movie, but we let, let, we, we kind of know what we're doing. We know what we're yeah, doing, so right. At least give us the first crack at this, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, so were there any situations where, you know, you knew that this particular marketing campaign was going to work the way that it needed to work according to what you thought? And... 
a director not agreeing with that? You know, I'll, I'll say it in, 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 in a different way. I'll answer it in, in, in a different way. We we did this movie, um, uh, Lee Daniels, The Butler. Yeah. And that was that was a real high point for me. The way the, the way the movie performed, the way um, uh, it held. It was number one two weekends two week, for two weekends. Like that was great, and it was a fantastic film with an amazing cast. We showed Lee the first trailer, and he ripped it. He he did not like it at all. He said, and in in. In a gentle way, I'm going to say how he said it in a gentle way. Basically, you guys don't know how to market this. How, how to market this because it's a, it's an African American film, right? right? And so we, we we took that to heart, and we came back and we with a second trailer, and that worked a lot better. But but he was right. He was right, and I think that that's that's one where that's what you want to happen. You, you know, you want yeah. that to happen. Yeah. And and he would have you know. If we would have still been a company, he would have come back and made more movies with us to, because of the experience, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. So, so I think that I, I'll, I'll never forget that. When you saw that trailer, he's like, "Why would you pick that music? You know, what is this?" You know, <laughs> and, and we're like, "Oh, okay, we thought it was good." You know, yeah, 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 yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna take you a little bit further back. You know, when you were a kid growing up in New York, did you know you were gonna be in the film business? It's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Actually, um, no, I had no idea. I had no idea. I went to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and I was in, I went to Boston College and I was in the um, undergraduate uh, business program. And by the time you were a sophomore, you had to pick a major, right? Yeah. And I had still had no idea what I was going to do. I thought I was going to do something on Wall Street or something. And I um, started thinking about what I want to major in. I said, eh, you know, now I'm, I'm not interested in maybe doing something on Wall Street. I said, all right, maybe I'll pick marketing. Okay. So marketing. What do I what do I want to market? You know, what would be interesting to me to market? I'm not going to market cereals to kids or you know cigarettes or toilet paper or something like that. I don't want to do that. You know, what what would be cool? And at the time, going to school in Boston, there was this little indie movie theater right near BU. I went to BC. This is right near BU, and they were playing all these films: Train Spotting, The English Patient, Swingers, and and every time this logo came up um, before the film, Miramax Films, Miramax Films, Miramax Films, and I was just like, wow, like, like I'm really into these movies, these movies are blowing my mind, because this is like the, the indie wave was happening, you know, in the, yeah. the 90s, and Quentin, and Reservoir Dogs, and, you know, um, Pulp Fiction, and um, I said, well, why market movies? And I want to work for this company that has the balls to release these really cool movies. Then I find out that their headquarters are in New York. So I was able to get an internship, uh, a summer internship, unpaid. And um, after college, I, I worked a couple jobs, and, and uh, then I, I, I came on as an assistant after that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And the rest is history. The rest is history, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right out. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to bring it to the present. What are you doing now? So right now, I'm, I'm working with Vertical Entertainment. Uh, they're an independent um, uh, film company that, that releases films. And, you know, primarily... Uh, 
they will find films on the uh, festival circuit. Uh, they're just starting to get into a little bit into um, in, in, into production, uh, but mostly finished films um, with with cast attached. And, and they have some great movies like Capone and Critical Thinking and um, uh, yeah, Rifa. Thinking, yeah, we, we interviewed uh, Carla. Carla. Oh, okay, great. Uh, Berkowitz. Berkowitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely film, and uh, that was um, that was the uh, John Leguizamo's uh, directorial yep. debut. And what a great job directing and yeah. starring in that film. And and my so my role with them is is I'm focused on business development, where I'm using my relationships uh, over 20 years in the business to help fuel their growth, and meaning uh, monetizing um, their, their catalog, their vast catalog of films, where I'm finding places that that um, weren't being you know say after a movie came out on Netflix, well there's still time that you can actually sell you can sell. Someone else, like, yeah. so taking that and bring it to someone else to sell, uh, to, to just keep keep uh, having these these assets. The films are a film is an asset, right? Yeah. And to, the asset and the needs to return, and a commodity and a commodity, an asset and commodity, now. yeah. And that really needs to to be monetized uh, when you have certain rights. So so helping them uh, monetize those rights. And, wow. Uh, yeah. So I think we're going to have to uh, unfortunately <laughs> cut this off because we could bad. go on for another uh, hour. I I tell you, I've enjoyed this whole conference, um, meeting everyone, meeting you, uh, getting time, to, having a chance to spend time with Matt, who I don't see enough, and um, th this has been a, a really, uh, doing the panel, this, I, I, I swear, the panel, I could have gotten longer on that panel, and I yeah. could go longer here. This is, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Well, yeah. now it's time to pop bottles. <laughs> yes, let's do it. We are, we are There's no champagne, yeah. you know, we got some whiskey. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for an incredible interview. One yeah. last thing. Yeah. Um, word of advice, you know, for people that are coming into the industry, even people who are in the industry, uh, what would you uh, 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 give them in terms of, you know, moving forward? I would say work at Google. No. <laughs> yeah, all the money's yeah, in tech no, now. No, no, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. No, no, no. Um, because I, if someone would have told me that when I was in college, I would have said, no, I really wanted to. I was, I was so headstrong to do it. Um, even my parents were like, you know, you're having a hard time finding a job in the business. Maybe you should try something else. I said, no, this is what I want to do. Um, and so I, I think you have to be tough. You have to, you have to use any connection you have. And if you don't have any, then you have to hustle your ass off. You know, you may get a thousand no's, but I always say, you get a thousand no's, but you get the one yes. That's it. I, and I do think, um, in terms of a marketing and salesperson, if, if you want to be in marketing, you have to actually have a really strong. Um, Handle on, on social advertising and social marketing and and and, uh, and and digital digital marketing. I think that's really important that you can learn that in school and bring that to the table. Um, and I think in sales, it's a little different in sales. You just have to have the personality for it. You know, yeah. it's really it's really um, uh, if you're the type of person who um, creates relationships, who manages relationships really well, who creates friendships, who uh, is is uh, confident enough to speak and speak amongst people you don't know and introduce yourself um, I think that, that it's sales sales is a great thing but but it's a little bit more you're born with it or you don't have it whereas marketing uh, I, think, I think a lot of people can, can learn can learn how to be in marketing and and uh, you know either either path it was a great it's it, it's a great life yeah. love it yeah. so you heard it here <laughs> keep your eyes on the prize and you can have a, a successful career even if 
it's hard to crack in at first, and your parents are like, get a job. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Maybe we'll have you a second time. I uh, can't wait. Okay. All right. We're back. Back. Great one again, Kevin. Another fantastic you, interview. Well thank done. Thank you, man. We came back into this future. Yes. <laughs> what a terrible segue. Eh, it's close enough. Yes. Back <laughs> to the future. Uh, so, so yes, we had teased this story uh, during the intro, which is uh, about Netflix and the fact that it looks like they may be going back into the potential ad space, yeah. which has, according to the Hollywood reporter echoes of its DVD by mail era, where, uh, I don't think a lot of folks remember that early on during those red envelope DVD days, uh, they were also considering advertising. In other words, little pieces of paper, you know, with key art that would accompany a DVD from, you know, things like, I don't know, um, the latest car model to, I don't know, <laughs> Blockbuster. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but um, when, uh, you know, obviously when, when, Netflix decided to do the strong pivot into streaming. They abandoned all of that and just focused on, as you mentioned earlier on, Wall Street and their obsession with growth is just growing that streaming platform at all costs, which uh, as a premium platform, no advertising. I mean, that, that was almost considered a, a taboo to mention advertising and Netflix, right? In the same phrase. Yeah, well, yeah it was taboo. They were like, never. Right. Never. Never. Well, never say never, Kevin. Never has come. Yes, yes. So obviously, as the growth is slowing for Netflix, we saw some of their numbers coming in well under. I think we covered that in a previous podcast and them having to pivot themselves back to potentially a lower tiered cost ad supported uh, streaming service uh, option that advertising would come back into play and it looks like it definitely is and getting a lot of serious consideration what that's ultimately going to look like we don't know one of the other things that as we know netflix is known for is being very sort of tight-lipped about their numbers which is obviously something that most advertisers would kind of want to (laughs) know you know how many eyeballs exactly on stranger things or the crown or the latest netflix offering and you know to be fair, Netflix has been a bit more transparent recently. I know they joined uh, a, a part of the Nielsen ratings to see how many minutes subscribers were on their platform. Uh, now they do list sort of a top 10, right? You know, when you log in, so you see what films are doing well compared to others as well as their their episodic series. So little by little, they've been inching towards being a bit more transparent in how well their various content offerings are doing on the platform. But I think it's going to be sort of another leap of faith to open up their their vault, uh, their secret vault, even more to these advertisers, potentially. Yeah. Um, like I said before the interview, I feel like it's a correction, a recalibration, because I feel that during those pandemic times, the shutdown times. I mean, this was a lot of people that was their only recourse. Their only form of entertainment was to, you know, ante up and watch movies and, you know, huddle together with their family. And so more options are available. When more options are available, two things happen. You go to those options and then a lot of the money that you had allocated in one way goes in another direction. So 
you know, I just think that with Netflix, what has happened is, you know, those things. And then it's still this content battle. So you have other entities with premium offerings that maybe necessarily weren't there before. I mean, I can just mention Amazon Prime and I can tell you, and I'm just going to be honest, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the Lord of the Rings for Amazon Prime. I was thinking maybe that's not going to work so well. But guess what? That was the biggest uh, opener of a streamer title in history for that Lord of the Rings. So the competition has gotten more fierce. And then those other things I mentioned, you know, I think has created a perfect storm, category five storm that has affected uh, Netflix. And so they're moving in that direction towards ad supported, which, you know, could help to stop the bloodletting. But, you know, they're also looking towards other ways. So I just read that they're opening uh, a game creation center. And so if you look on your Netflix, I don't know if you've seen they're offering games as a part of their offering. Well, now they're opening it up for developers. So game developers to come to their particular location uh, for development. Yeah. And so it's a scramble. Netflix is not going away. They are by far the streaming leader, but Wall Street don't want to hear that. Right. (laughs) Wall Street just want to hear, they just want to see the numbers. Yeah. Where do we grow from here? As they say. Yeah, pretty much. But, uh, and we'll see, like you said, you know, everybody's diversifying media companies, as you say, are getting into interactive gaming. You talked a lot about the metaverse during the conference as well as sort of this next gen level of entertainment content and storytelling. So, so it's all, it's all fair game in this, in this giant media world that we're in. So uh, we'll see, but, you know, speaking of, of going back to the future, time bandits, you had a, a great article on that. Tell us a little bit about, this new series from Apple, right? Terry, yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be on Apple. I think Apple, you know, they produce a lot of really, really incredible content. So they started slow, but I think they were more about quality than quantity. And, you know, they became a major player very, very fast. And so they built up their content tray over time. And, you know, now they're tapping into uh, one of the most indelible uh, films of all time, of all time, once again, um, Terry Gilliam, who is just an amazing filmmaker, you know, um, I've loved him and uh, his style, which is very unique. I don't think that there's uh, anyone that comes close to his style because his style is all his own. It's very unique. And so uh, 12 Monkeys is another example of one of my top films. And so I'm not always the biggest on, you know, these kind of, you know, it's not a remake per se because it's going to be a series, but it has one of my favorite directors, Taki Take Watiti. I just destroyed his name. (laughs) But... uh, you know, he is, he's just this tongue-in-cheek filmmaker that I feel is perfect for this type of material. And so I'm really, really excited about this. Lisa Kudrow, who really does fit this type of material, uh, is going to head the cast. 
it sounds like uh, this is going to be a, a romp and a, a blast. So I can't wait for this to come out. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Um, I can't say that all the time when I hear that they're doing sequels. An example is, or not sequels, but, remakes. Uh, remakes. Yeah, right. An example is, I didn't know what was going to happen with that Lord of the Rings. I didn't think it was going right. to. Most expensive uh, series ever done. So I, I was not sure if that was going to yeah. pan out right, but I really have enjoyed what I've seen from that so far. Yes. So that brings us to the dead end of the show. Well, not really, because I, you know I'm going to talk about my my trip over there across right. the pond. Uh, after we talk about um, our trip into the pool. Yes. That pool being the dead pool. Um, I've loved both of those movies. The only dead pool I did not love was uh, in X-Men Origins where they, I mean, it was not even any type of resonance to the real Deadpool character that they had in uh, that X-Men Origins. And that was the first time that Deadpool met another character who was supposed to be dead, Wolverine. And when yes. I say dead, Hugh Jackman said, that's it. I'm done after Logan, which was in 2016, that I'm not reprising this anymore. And here he is again. He's going to be in Deadpool 3. Well, so we, we said never say never before. And <laughs> exactly. We said that in this to be true. very episode of the podcast but um this is exciting to me because you know hugh jackman's wolverine is road tested uh there's been no fails as far as i'm concerned in in that franchise and uh deadpool again road tested uh and both of them played those same characters back in that wolf uh x-men origins but this was not the Deadpool in X-Men Origins that was meant for Ryan Reynolds. Right. Ryan yeah. Reynolds kept at it. I mean, I don't know how many years. It had to be like 10 or 15 years mm. that he kept trying to, repri- to reprise this role of Deadpool. He had tried previously. Mm-hmm. And he really hit the nail on the head. It's the biggest selling X-Men. And that's when X-Men was owned by uh, the previous studio. Fox, right? Fox, exactly. When it was owned by Fox, the biggest yes. selling X-Men of all time, which was Deadpool. And it's the biggest selling, it was the biggest selling R-rated uh superhero genre movie mm. of all time. Yeah. Each one of them making over 700 million dollars. Right. So they proved a lot of the critics wrong when they said a rated R superhero movie would not do well. It, both of them had done well, and a lot of it is related to ryan Reynolds' depiction of deadpool so two of the greatest depictions of characters of all time together in one movie what what could go wrong man i mean you know you got everything there it could go wrong it could i wouldn't yes. bet against it though no no i think this is going to be uh definitely a, a welcome addition to that franchise and, uh, you know, and again, you know, you just kind of alluded to it. Anything that's an IP, anything that has a history like that, whether it's Lord of the Ring or a character like Wolverine or even Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool, uh, they're going to find ways to keep trying to bring it back and to get a little more juice out of the orange. So that's it seems like that's what they're doing here. And uh, but again, very good, very talented actors, both Ryan and uh, Hugh Jackman. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be uh, an interesting ride. 
Yes, yes. And so I did take a ride myself uh, for 10 days across the pond, starting off in Ireland, where my company, Zavatar, and our show, The Sync Report, that just inked a deal with the network ovation for 14 episodes. Uh, we had an, an event based off of an NFT sale that we had, which did pretty well. And so part of that NFT sale was uh, doing an event. And that event was with Patty Casey and Stephanie Rainey, two of Ireland's biggest artists. And the host of our show, who speaking of characters, uh, plays uh, Captain Hook on this show called Once Upon a Time. I think not anymore because it ran six seasons or seven seasons for a long time. Then he also plays Jerry on my baby daughters. So Once Upon a Time is one of my wife's favorite shows. And uh, his character is her favorite character. Um, so he also plays Jerry in, speaking of Apple TV, in the Apple TV, their latest movie, Luck. And so my daughter loves Colin O'Donohue. My wife loves Colin O'Donohue. So this was the first time that I got to meet him in person. And before he was an actor, he was a musician. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. But man, did he perform on that stage? I mean, he's an incredible, incredible musician. He needs to uh, put out an album himself. And so maybe I'll put a little bit of that on our screen heat. Uh, yeah. well, I was going to say, maybe you can rap on it too. Hey, yeah, hey, maybe. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, you know I could spit. Bring some Coolio back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that, that was a really incredible event. You know, I have to tell you. And so, you know, I'll be dropping a little bit more about the show as we move forward in the podcast. Maybe we'll even get Colin to uh, to do an interview. But, um, you know, there and then to Switzerland and then to um, to talk to some of our friends um, at Film London. Uh, you know, I did a little stint in London. Um which was really great. You know, we always have fun with our, our, our friends at Film London. Um, really, really great trip. I can't complain. Um, Slancha, so, welcome back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you brought a little luck of the Irish with you. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of luck of the Irish. Um, it was a long, and I brought all this up because it was a long hiatus for us to get this next episode out. It won't be this long again. Um, I have to thank all of our listeners for listening in. Um, and we have another big one uh, coming after this one. Absolutely. So. Yes. Yeah. So until the next time, I am JL Martinez. I'm Kevin Sharpley. And we will uh, well, as hear you, like you later. <laughs> <laughs> Hurricane can't take us out. Oh, no. Got to keep coming. Bye.